Welcome to Every Quarter, the voice of Andover, a new podcast from Phillips Academy where we'll share the compelling stories, thoughts, and ideas of Phillips Academy faculty, students, alumni, and distinguished campus guests. Our monthly show will feature candid conversations on current events, academia, and Andover's connection to the important matters happening around the world. Our debut episode is a conversation about what it means to live a life of service. Commander Becky Dowling Calder and Lieutenant Commander Lori Coffey, two legendary Andover athletes, could have played college basketball anywhere they wanted. They each chose Annapolis and went on to fly F-18 Hornets at the highest level, selflessly serving and protecting our country for the past 20 years. Why? The lifelong friends returned to campus recently to commemorate Veterans Day and were gracious enough to answer that question and more. Welcome to Every Quarter. I'm Neil Evans from the Office of Communications. Uh, sitting in with me today is Jenny Savino, Director of Alumni Engagement. Uh, we're recording this episode on the eve of Veterans Day, and I'm honored to welcome Navy Pilots Lieutenant Commander Lori Coffey, Class of 1995, and Commander Becky Dowling Calder, Class of 94, to the show. First off, thank you for your service. Uh, thank you for returning to campus to celebrate Veterans Day with us, and thank you for taking time to be on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Um, before we sort of learn more about your decorated careers, I want to just sort of learn about your time at Andover, take you back a few. Um, so Becky, you were here for four years. Laura, you came as a new upper. Um, tell me how you guys first met. Hmm. I, as I was just saying, walking in here, I... That's a lot of years ago for me. So, so I'll fill it in. <laughs> Lori can help. Lori can help. Um, I came on a visit my 10th grade year um, to school. I'd gone to um, a summer camp, a rowing junior national team rowing camp, and met um, some people who went to Andover. And they said, you should come to Andover. And I said, that's a good idea. So I came here, and I met Becky on that visit there. And she showed me around I campus. Remember, I don't know. Um, with the basketball coach at the time, and I met her, and she was great. And I met a bunch of people, but that's when I first met her on my re like kind of recruiting mm -hmm. visit, if you will, yeah. um, to Andover. And then it was it was such a great visit that I decided to uh, apply. It was a match made in heaven. <laughs> we spent a lot of time together since then. Yeah. So little did I know that that would be like the start of like twenty some years. Mm -hmm. And you were both boarders. Both borders. Yes. And where did you live when you were here? I lived in Day Hall and then in Smith House. Okay. Becky? Um, I was in Bancroft, which surprisingly is the same dorm I lived in at the Naval Academy. Many similarities between Andover and <laughs> Naval Academy. Yes. So. so what was Andover like back then for you guys? Um, for me, Andover was a really, really formative experience. We, uh, I'm one of three girls, and we all came to Andover. And we grew up in Washington State, so this was a long way away from home. And now, as a, as a mom, and with two little kids, I, I look back and I realize how hard it was for my mom to say goodbye to her children and send them 3,000 miles to high school. Um, it sort of, I can't even imagine doing that. Um, but I, I didn't realize then that my parents obviously had our best interests in mind and literally opened up the world to us when they sent us here. Um, I have a sister who was a year older than me, so she was here for four years, so I spent three years with her. And then when I was a senior, my little sister was um, a freshman here, so I got one year with her here. And um, I mean, it really shaped, I can, you know, I, I look back and my life and what I've done 
and it all started here at Andover. And it's it's why I'm in the military. It's why I've done what I've done. And it, I mean, literally started on this campus. So, pretty pretty formative place in many ways. Yeah, I'm the oldest of four, and. Um, once I came here, there was no question where any of my other sisters were going to go. Um, they all came here for a variety of years as well. Um, but I think uh, it was, it really, I came from a really small town in upstate New York, and Andover just opened my eyes to the potential of what was out there. Um, the campus was very inclusive and diverse, um, and that was really a welcoming experience for me. Um, I met people from all over the country, all over the world, and I really enjoyed that kind of diversity that I hadn't seen growing up. So I that was a really formative experience for me, meeting people. And then just the, the people that were here were so invested in you as a person. Um, I really, that was something I really embraced. And then I found that also in the military too. It's the same kind of culture. Like people are really invested in people as people and develop them as leaders, very similar to what we do here at Andover. So, um, kind of really dovetailed going to the military, coming from a school like this. It's very much uh, all about the people. You are both in the Athletics Hall of Honor, and I'm wondering if you can reflect a little bit on your athletics career here. Do you, probably not a fair question, but do you have a favorite sport that you played here? Well, we both obviously love basketball because <laughs> we went to college and played basketball together. Um, I mean, I, I ran cross country. Did you know that? I ran cross country here too. Um, totally believe that. <laughs> It's a long time ago, um, and uh, and then rowing. I mean, rowing. Fam- rowing in my is is a family business in my my family. So um, I loved rowing, and I really think it was part of my parents' ulterior motive. Like, yeah, you should go to Andover, get a great education, and start rowing. Um, so uh, so I love that. But basketball was my first love, and uh, playing here with Becky was just great. We did really well while we were here, um, which was fun and successful. And then. I don't think our college teammates appreciated that we would only pass to each other most of the times in college. So <laughs> I think it was that. Uh, I think sometimes they would probably get a little mad at us because we played together here. And then when we went to college, it was just um, the familiarity, and we would often pass to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think that just like what Lori said, um, obviously basketball is part of my life, a huge part of my life. Um, but I'll tell you, I really loved playing soccer here. And some of my most favorite memories are those with the soccer team and our dinners um, at Coach Kennedy's house, um, those are what I remember as being just some of the most important and most memorable things that um, I did here at Andover. So soccer was a huge part of my life. I didn't play it in college and I was never that great at it, um, but I really loved the soccer team here. Obviously basketball, I can talk on and on about basketball and basketball here and the team that we had here and Lori and then the team at the Naval Academy, which, you know, everything that Andover gets you ready for just goes right into college. And, you know, I'll I'll say this again, I'm sure in this interview, that the school as, you know, this private, amazing school is so similar to the Naval Academy. And um, it's, you know, you you would think it would be on the opposite ends of of what they teach and, and everything, but it is so similar and it just, set us up for just great success at the Naval Academy, um, both on the court and in the classroom and, and everything as, as people. But going back to your question, I would say soccer and basketball, if I could say both. 
So outside of sports, are there activities that you either tried here that you loved or that stuck with you, kind of, you know, clubs or extracurriculars that you remember? Um, I started ceramics while I was here, and I've continued it, which is awesome. Like, I've taken classes at, like, art centers when I've been stationed in different places. Um, so I love that part of it. Um, I did debate, and uh, I really enjoyed that. What's the hall we did debate? Or what was it? It's over Bullfinch. Bullfinch. Bullfinch, yeah, in, in Bullfinch. It's now the faculty, though. It's now the faculty. Oh, how unfortunate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a great debate hall. So yes, it was. Those were um, some things I, um, what did I really, I loved. I had a radio show here. I, um, well, I did. I did campus sports. Go figure, um, which was so fun. Like we did, we did campus sports, and we would just talk about all the sports that were going on and stuff. Um, and I, I really liked that. Um, and I felt like I was a part of the Philippian because my roommates were like editors and stuff. So I'd go spend a lot of time. So I tried to get out and do lots of different things. And um, those are, I think, a bunch of the stuff I did. I remember. Um, for me, some of the extracurricular activities here um, that I have kept with me, um, I would say that I remember my photography class here, which um, I'm sure they still have it, and it was a long time ago. Um, but I have a love of photography that I have um, kept um, my whole career. And in the Navy, it's pretty fun because you've gone, I've gone all over the world and, and, um, and flying in some of the pictures that I have, I absolutely love. And I, um, I also remember um, I had some pretty... Um, really great formative classes in English here. And I majored in English at the Naval Academy and I have continued to write. I don't write anything that anybody should read or <laughs> would want to read, but I journal a lot. And I have, um, I think that love started here in, in the English class, classes that I took. Um, and I have written for you know 20 plus years of my different experiences in the Navy and things I've done. And um, so I have, I mean, literally a shelf full of journals that nobody will ever read but I have them I and um, and I start and that started here at Andover um, you mentioned coach Kennedy why don't you talk a little about how her influence has impacted you let's start um, go ahead well I, I mean Beck played two sports for Karen for two uh, for four years so Beck um, but I, she was the one that you know was really when I when I came to visit was really excited for me to come to school here, um, and a big, um, basically proponent of me uh, supported supported me in my athletic endeavors. I played basketball, I did travel team basketball. While I was here, which was hard to do, but she supported it, and really helped me um, kind of decide you know you know what I was doing for college and stuff. So she was a really great mentor, really invested in the team. She um, just loved coaching and um, it was evident all the time and she was really like she was a, like a hard coach like a tough really tough coach which is great because I respond to that pretty well um, and she dealt with me pretty well because sometimes I'm I would have to say I was probably the hard <laughs> not the easiest <laughs> you know 16 years year old to coach sometimes but she knew just how to handle me which was good so um, I really respect for on um, I Every time I've come back to campus, I've tried to get in touch with her, and she's great. And she's awesome because she is just a, such a big, like, I don't know. She's Becky's biggest fan. Like, she's my biggest fan. She, everyone who's ever played for her, you feel like she's your biggest fan. And to have that type of coach is um, really nice. Um, for me, Coach Kennedy um, played such a huge role in my life here. Coming here for four years, um, as I said before, living 3,000 miles away from home, Faculty they, um, and coaches 
they're more than that, as you guys all know. Um, I mean, she helped raise me, and if you really think of it, she, I spent most of my time with her, and I played soccer for her, basketball for her, with her, with um, the team for four years. And, you know, sports is sort of what I did here, and it's, it was a, a big part of my life, and, and in that, it, your coach is a big part of your life, and at Andover, it's even more than a coach, because, I mean, we needed parents, we needed, you know, we needed a lot, and um, she was everything to us, and she did it firmly and um, strongly and beautifully, and um, she helped raise us, and especially those that were here, um, even like Lori, those that were here for you know two years have felt her impact. Um, those that were here for four years, um, you know, we felt it a lot, and so she mm-hmm. played a huge role in my success here and. Um, my decision to go to the Naval Academy. Um, she was, you know, like I said, not only my coach, um, you know, a parent, a counselor, um, everything. So I owe her a lot. So I'm just going to brag for you for a little bit. Oh. So and of our all-time leading scorer in basketball, four straight New England basketball championships. It's pretty big. So what made you... Uh, Think about the Navy. You know, you maybe were recruited to go play basketball elsewhere, or uh, have some other opportunities after Andover. What was sort of your thought process in uh, seeking out the Navy? For me, the Naval Academy was never um, at the top of my list, and Karen was um, a just huge supporter in letting me look and helping me look everywhere, along with my parents, obviously. I mean, I do have parents that are amazing. And, um, but, you know, I'm here and the college hunt starts and you've got to um, have people behind you and helping you um, when you're going through it. And I definitely wanted to play sports and basketball is sort of what I was leaning towards. And you're right there, you know, lots of colleges were, um, were interested. And for some reason, I, I mean, the Naval Academy, um, there was just something about it um, very similar to what is asked of students here at Andover, um, sort of a, um, I mean, you have to be, you have to be, um, I don't know. You can't be one-dimensional, I yeah, think. You can't be just academic there. Right. It's a total, total personal yeah. experience. So. And I just, I think that, um, and you feel it, you feel it on, the, you feel it on campus here. When you walk on campus here, you can feel that people love this place, that people have invested in this place. They're invested in the people that go here. The, the faculty is invested in the students. And it's the same thing at the Naval Academy. The Naval Academy, you know, there's a thousand kids in each class, and so every year a thousand people graduate, and those are the future military leaders of our country. And so the investment that the school takes in their students is um, very similar to here. So I think it was an easy transition. Um, I had no um, idea that I was going to make it, a, you know, as of now, 18-year career and fly F-18s for a huge chunk of that. Um, I just wanted to play basketball at Division One school, and <laughs> and they picked me, and I said sure. <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, that's what we want. <laughs> and so, you go off to Navy. It's a great experience, Lori. Does that influence your decision at all, or how do, how does that play? So, um, yeah, absolutely. I I didn't have any background in the military. My family's not in the military uh, either. Um, I was recruited to play basketball at various schools as well. Um, And I went to visit Becky um, when I was there, and 
I went to watch a basketball game, and the head of the school at the time, okay, um, which was a four-star admiral, um, very unusual, but we had a four-star admiral, which is the highest rank in the military, was heading the school, and took the time to sit down with me at the basketball game and talk to me. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about the military, so I didn't really know how a, how a big guy this was. Um, and my parents were there, and you know, we were in the and they, he was just the most um, un, you know, you know, I, I don't know, unassuming person. You know, he was like now I know the man, uh, he's since passed, but um, just the most remarkable person, and so unassuming, so open, so like in, like in, interested in me. And my parents were like what other school would you go to where the president of the school would sit down with someone who wants to go to school there and was so invested in you as a person and wanting to come there. So the Naval Academy was so different in that aspect of like really caring about the people and it was very welcoming. It was kind of the same feeling I felt when I was picking schools. Uh, when I was visiting private schools, I did visit that school that would usually be called Exeter. And it was just a welcoming, um, you know, it was just like you felt like it was welcoming. The same thing at the Naval Academy. Um, Beck met, like, didn't tell me about all of plebe year and how like horrible that first year at the Naval Academy is. In some respects, she just like skipped all that part. Um, so um, that was because I think she inside wanted me to go to school with her there. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, it was through Becky. I wouldn't have known about the Naval Academy. If Becky didn't go to the Naval Academy. I wouldn't have gone to the Naval Academy. That's just the end of the story there. So yes, <laughs> so she introduced me to it, and um, I liked it for many of the reasons that she's talk, talked about as well. Sure. Um, so we've talked about a lot of parallels between Phillips Academy and, and the Navy. Um, the sense of non-SIBI here at, at the school, um, did that play uh, any part in wanting to serve the country, or is it something uh, that you uh, felt internally that it was a greater calling for you? The idea of non-SIBI um, for Andover, I think they, they they teach that to you as soon as you get on campus, whether it's as a, you know, 14-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old, and there's no doubt that that stays with you, um, and it becomes a part of either it becomes a part of who you are, and and in a sense, what you will become because it 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 means that you you need to to do things for others, and that is something that's so important um, here at the school, but just in the world in general, and I think that. I mean, I hadn't. I literally had no idea how similar it would be at the Naval Academy. In fact, tonight at um, there's a dinner that Lori's going to be speaking at, and um, I will draw that parallel um, between the mottos, um, the non sibi It's this Andover's motto, and it's also inscribed above the chapel doors at the Naval Academy. And it is. Um, it definitely is um, a call for, to a greater good. And it, you know, for those lucky enough to come to Phillips Academy, it starts when you're younger, um, and it just gets built upon at the Naval Academy for future military leaders. I mean, to me, I think it means something, thinking of yourself, thinking of something greater than yourself. Um, you get that sense here that you want to be a part of something bigger than whatever your um, parameters are, whatever your horizon is, and think of being a part of that in service, in service to the country, in service to the nation, is a way to do that. And it kind of, it, I mean, it really dovetails really nicely with, you know, being a part of service. And though, there's no greater like feeling than knowing that you're part of something bigger than yourself that's serving the nation. Like, take great pride in being a part of the naval service and what we do, um, and the people we serve and help. So, and I think you see that in Andover graduates too. Whether it's not in military service, but in all kinds of walks of life, if they're in service of others, um, 
and I think that's why I mean a lot of Andover graduates are so successful because they kind of you inculcate that at such a young age that hey, you want to you know you're not in it for yourself, you're in it for something bigger, and if you can think that way, I mean you know you can you can conquer the world. I mean the, the, there's no limit to the possibilities of things that you can do um, in helping and serving others. So I think here it puts it kind of puts that idea in your head, and you know in some. People don't think that way a lot of times, you know. That's kind of a new idea for young people a lot of times. And once they start thinking that way, um, I think it's pretty liberating. So you arrive at Navy, playing basketball, everything's great. How do you go from that to flying an F-18? Like walk walk the layperson through. It's pretty what? much like the next step. <laughs> it pretty much just, you yeah, know, like you one day you're in layups and, and the then next day you're in F-18. It's pretty much the same. It's like almost the same. You just, yeah, you feel like, what would you like to do F-18 all day? Uh, next. Just kidding. Um, um, I actually remember the day that the idea of flying F-18s came to me, and it was kind of similar to what Lori just talked about, meeting Admiral Larson, who was this amazing figure at the Naval Academy, who was a huge supporter of women and um, women's sports, and specifically women's basketball, him and his wife, Sally. So we all got to know both of them really well. And he was the superintendent, and then there's a commandant, and then there's a deputy commandant. And the deputy commandant at the time was, um, his name was Colonel Bolden, that now retired General Bolden, who's now... Um, the head of NASA. The head of NASA, which we can edit that out that I forgot how to say that. But he's the head of NASA now. I knew he was, I didn't know if he was the head or if he's still the head. Yeah. Yeah. So General Bolden was the deputy commandant of midshipmen when I was there, who is now the head of NASA. And it was at a practice, and he will not remember this, he will not remember me, um, but it was when we had to put down our service assignment selection. And he came over and he, um, he loved basketball too, and so he was, I think we were maybe tossing the ball around, but he asked me what I wanted to do, and I told him, I mean, honestly, I had no idea. I had, I had never thought about a career in the Naval Service. And he looked at me and he said, you would make a great F-18 pilot, and you should fly F-18s. And that is the day that I decided that I would put down aviation. And it's a long process. You have to get selected for aviation, and then you have to go through flight school, and then you have to go through primary training, intermediate training, and advanced training. And then, only after advanced training, you get your wings, and then you get selected for the type of aircraft that you're going to fly. So it is a long process. Um, but that day in the gym at Halsey Fieldhouse, Deputy Commandant Bolden told me I should fly F-18s. And I took his advice to heart, and I did it. Wow. <laughs> Lori, how'd you <laughs> <laughs> um, So, well, I, when I was young, I, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was younger. So I always, um, and actually, um, when I was being, I remember when I was being recruited from the Naval Academy, um, uh, one of the first female astronauts that was a graduate of the Naval Academy who grew up just coincidentally in the town next to mine um, gave me a call and was like, I was like, you know, I was like 17. I thought that was the most amazing thing ever. And she's like, I heard you want to go to the Naval Academy. That's where I went. It's a good school. Um, so I, when I was young, I wanted to fly that. Um, it was a little bit broken up, I'm not going to lie, when the Challenger exploded. I was a little bit broken up about it. So I kind of shelved that idea for a little while. Um, but then at the Naval Academy, fl flying, I, for me, there's a lot of um, people that work in all the different warfare specialties that teach at the Naval Academy. And I never 
met a pilot who didn't just love flying. Like I never met someone who was a pilot who just didn't love what they did, couldn't believe that they got paid to do it, like just love that. And when you find a profession where everyone who's in it just loves it and they're that invested in it, you're like, you want to be a part of that. You're like, I want to be a part of that. And, you know, so Beck went F-18, so I figured I needed to just continue doing there was no other option whatever Becky did. So I, I really didn't actually make the decision. I just did what Becky did. But, um, no, I think, I mean, for me, for deciding F-18s, like, Beck kind of glossed over, but you've got to, like, do really well in flight school to do it. And I just kind of looked at it as, like, kind of a competitive environment that I wanted to be a part of and those type of people that really, like, are type A and achieve and, you know, are very um, driven. Like, I want to be surrounded by those people, and that's what you found in the community. So it really attracted me to that community. So that's what I want to be a part of as well. So you're graduating from the Naval Academy, and then you go to flight school, or you're doing it yeah. while you're – so then you go to flight school. Right. And at what point do you head out to Top Gun? Is that flight school, or that's the – that's yeah so you do flight school yeah check that off so like it's almost like a graduate program of like three years where you learn to fly airplanes like just regular airplanes like propeller airplanes and then you fly jets and then like a like a trainer jet not a really fast jet not with like lots of stuff on it and then you get to fly whatever the fleet flies which is the f-18 and you take a year to basically learn how to fly that and then you teach you've already know how to fly then they teach you how to employ it so it's one thing to fly but it's different to be able to employ an aircraft with weapons and radar systems and stuff. So that's a whole year of school. And then you go to the, then you go and you are operational for like three years. And then when you're really good, like Becky, they pick you up to go to Top Gun. And Buck's not gonna tell you, she's the first woman that went through Top Gun. So pretty awesome. Um, and Top Gun is where they put really, really good pilots. So um, Beck went through that, and did really well. So. And is, is the nickname Top Gun, is there a formal name for it or is it actually called Top Gun? That Top Gun is the nickname, one word, all caps. No big deal. And did it come before the movie or after the movie? <laughs> no, it came before. Top Gun has been around for a long time. Made very famous by the fabulous movie. Yeah. Um, but fabulous. it is the, um, it's called the Naval Strike, wait. No. Naval Fighter, Fighter Weapons School. <laughs> Let me try this. <laughs> she the, went. The official name of Top Gun. Navy Fighter Weapons School. The Navy Fighter Weapons School. And so you, you go out there. Timing-wise, had the movie come out already? Oh, a long time ago. Oh, it, it came out when we, we were come like, on, it came out when we were like five. I, I'm a lot five. older than you, so I'm fairly on the <laughs> Okay, thing. it came out in like eighty-seven. You're like, I was here already. Eighty-eight. Oh no, eighty-seven maybe. Eighty-seven. Six. Didn't, somewhere in there. Didn't right? it just have its third? And can we have just a truth moment? Did it have okay. any impact on you choosing to fly jets? Zero impact. However, Lori, can you answer that question? Um, I kind of like the movie, <laughs> but I'm not not in the way that like every guy we work with. It's pretty much the reason they became a fighter pilot. The like, volleyball scene. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna like. Right? Didn't you like that too? No, no. I, I'm not gonna. Am I lying when I say pretty much? Because of like our age demographic, it was like when we were like nine, eight, very 10, important movie. Pretty okay. much all the guys we work with were because of that movie. We. I can tell you um, a little, a little insight into Top Gun. When you go to Top Gun and graduate from Top Gun, it's um, as Lori said, this is a, it's a pretty small community, and then you get selected to go to Top Gun, and it was a huge honor to go. And I loved it, and I absolutely loved what I did after going to Top Gun. But if you make uh, references to the movie, then you have to pay a fine. So <laughs> no Top Gun it's a good, references. It's a good policy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, I don't remember as a kid at all. But I, I don't remember. But it's a good movie. It's, good it's great. Can't wait for the remake. Um, and so you're, we know your call sign, Lori, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. Mocha. Yes. And um, where does that get designated? Is that given to you? Do you come up with it? How do you? How does your call sign come about? Um, you never pick it. It's always given to you. And um, 
it will go through several iterations. None of them will be PC usually. Um, and then you finally arrive at one. It can change. I had another one before. Um, and it, it'll change, but it's given to you by your peer group. Becky, what's your call sign? My call sign is Sam. Relatively tame call signs. It has changed over the years, though. People have gotten fired over call signs. So it's a they little, little bit, um, call yeah. signs, have, it's changed, sort of like tailhook and things. Right. The Navy has changed, things have changed in the Navy. So call signs are much tamer, although there's ways to get around that because then you just actually have a call sign, but then have a fake call sign. And So Becky, at Top Gun, you're the first female there. Um, the first female pilot. There was one girl who went before me who was um, a backseater. She was a Rio, a radio intercept officer oh, okay. in the F-14. An amazing woman, um, a pioneer, a really great role model and mentor. And so, um, I mean, as a um, civilian, it, my, my vision is that it would be pretty tough to be um, a female there in that very male population, but it's also in a very kind of respectful and highly regarded position. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, people have asked me about Top Gun a lot, and um, I've, I've thought about it a lot, especially since I've sort of taken a step back from flying, and I'm in the reserves now, and um, I mean, I absolutely love flying the F-18. I feel like um, it was something that I was, you know, really, um, I, I love it and I had the ability to do it and, and I, I did it with all of my heart and um, and when I got selected to go to Top Gun I, I knew that obviously that I was the first pilot and I knew there was a lot of pressure on me to because you don't not everybody graduates from Top Gun I mean there's a handful of people every year that do not finish and there's no guarantee that you're gonna finish so I knew that there was a lot riding on my selection and then my finishing um, but I'll tell you and I think Lori's heard me say this before um, you know people a lot of times ask me what was it like being the first female there, what was it like, you know, with all the guys, was it, did they, um, you know, how did they treat you, and how did you feel, and I'll tell you, Top Gun was one of the places that I felt like I belonged the most, mm -hmm. and it's just this idea of something that you love to do, and that you are blessed with the talent to do it, surrounded by other people who love it um, in the same caliber, I mean, I, ser I just felt like, I mean, I was supposed to be there, and I loved it. The guys in my class were absolutely fantastic. We had an, a f great, great class. We all succeeded. We had a great time. Um, and I really just felt like, <coughs> I mean, I've never felt so inclusive. If I would, I've, never, I've never felt so much like I belonged somewhere than, than Top Gun. So that is, um, yeah, it's kind of flips that idea on its head. It's like, yeah. what was it like yeah. being the first female? Well. I can't tell you because to me, I just, that's where I belonged. Mm -hmm. And um, and there was, I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie, there was pressure, but I, I think I've always um, thrived on that and um, <coughs> taken it as a chance to succeed. And um, Top Gun was another place that, you know, sure, you can get through flight school and then, and then get through other training, but, you know, why not just be the best and, and go for it? And, and that's why I've, you know, I think I learned, I learned that here at Andover. You, you sort of get that idea that, that there's something bigger than yourself and that you can be better. And my parents taught me that too. And, and for me, uh, and not everybody that flies F-18s goes down that road, but for me, being the best at the F-18 meant going to Top Gun. So it was a pretty easy decision and, um, and I had a great time. And just the timeline, like they lifted the combat <coughs> exclusion for women in 1993. Like the first women were hitting the fleet 
in fighters, like, what, 90? In 96 and 97 is when the first ones were in. So you have to think, like, so. We were at the Naval Academy when that happened. When that happened. So, So yeah, women couldn't fly, like, they just, when we got to the Naval Academy, yeah, they just. They just started flying. They just started flying fighters. Um, Before that, women couldn't fly fighters because it was a combat aircraft. So, you know, when Beck went through and then I went through after her, like, there just wasn't a lot of women actually doing it at all, so. It is, and you think, you know, strangely, you think that, um, you know, we've progressed so much in this world, but the numbers are still so low of women that fly, yeah. and they have not, in fact. It's I less mean, than one half of 1% in the fight in the fighter community. Yeah. In yeah. fact, we, like, I know. All there's, I, I feel fly. like today there's less than there was when I was flying 10 years ago. Yeah, it is. Um, it's just a very arduous uh, lifestyle. Yes. Very much so. So, especially with. You know, we've been at war for 15 years, so the deployment cycles are pretty yeah. harrowing and timelines and stuff. So it's really, it's just, a, it's just, I mean, in the military service in, in general, like, it's just hard. So I think, but. So, Lori, you talk about, you know, when you, meeting people <coughs> in the profession and everybody who flies loves it. So it's one of the things that attracted you to it. So, um, you know, so obviously we've never been in a cockpit. So, you know, take us into the cockpit. So you, so you get in there and I, um. I, so I would panic, right? I, I would likely vomit and and pass out. So um, that would be my path. Can you walk me through when you kind of you you climb up and you get in? And do you each have a routine of what you would do? Yeah. So it's very much muscle memory. Like flying is very much muscle memory. Much like riding a bike. I mean, Becky. You know, I haven't been in the cockpit in three years. Becky hasn't been in the cockpit in five five years. But I guarantee you, if she sat in a hornet right now, she could start it and go because it's just muscle memory. All of a sudden you like look around and be like, okay, here we go. And you just, the search switches just start coming on. Um, so you, I mean, it's very much a routine because um, you build on, you build on just knowing exactly what needs to be done at what time, the consistency, because it's such a dynamic environment, you have to have like method and consistency. So the, from when you brief to when you walk to the plane to when you like read the book about the maintenance on the plane. Everything's almost always the same, and it's on a timeline, and it's to the minute. I mean, to the exact minute. You know, we will. You know, I mean, there's nothing to be like left for, for that. So, I mean, when you get into the aircraft, um, we both flew single seat. So um, there's a two seat version as well, but we both flew single seat Hornets. So it's just you in there. So um, which I loved because. Um, you know, there was no one to like say anything to you. Like, you know, you're just kind of your own person up there. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing to fall back on. So if you like, you know, have any issues or anything, it's just you up there. So, um, but yeah, the routine's the same. You, I mean, every time you turn on the aircraft, um, you know, there's two engines and it. it's quite loud. Um, it's pretty much, a, it's a production. Like when you start your aircraft and you go out, the whole flight line, all these people surround you. If you have any problems, they're plugging into your aircraft, getting you all ready to go. Like, you are the focus, whether you're on land or on the ship. Like, you in that aircraft, especially for, like, so the carrier for the Navy is, like, the big thing. Like, power projection comes from what we fly. So you're kind of the kind of the big deal program. So they're all focused on you. And, um, and once you get past that and out to the, you know, runway and you do your procedures, it's always the same thing. But then when you get in the air, it's completely different almost every time. So, you know, you, you, you'll brief it. You'll brief this is what we want to do. And then when you get out there, you know, it'll, it'll depend on the mission of the day and things will pop up and it's dynamic and changing. And that's what I really loved about flying was every day was different. Every day, we might brief the same mission, but it will play itself out, you know, a myriad of ways. And that's super engaging and very challenging. And 
you know, every day at the office was different. Like, I mean, I have a great picture, and it's like someone crawling, getting into the Hornet, like a sun setting on all their flight gear and say, just another day at the office. Like, it's just, it just epitomized, like, why I love doing what I did, because um, it was just, it was super, super challenging every day. I mean, there was no PowerPoint or Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and any, any um, routine superstitions that you would do each time before you head out? No, no superstitions for me. I think um, Lori hit it when she said that um, it is just, I mean, no kidding, rote memorization from the way you put your gear on, which is a ton of gear to wear yeah. in that plane. It's 40 pounds of gear every single time that you fly to the way that you, to what foot you step up on the ladder, um, you do it the same way every time. So we could all do it you know, in our sleep with our eyes closed. But I think that's a testament to the great training program that the military has because they have invested so much money in you to fly these aircraft that are $80 million each now. And um, if the training program isn't great, you know, that's, that's not good for the, for the country. So we, um, y you have to keep everything um, really, really, um, just you have to do it this you know they just teach you to do it the same way so for me no superstitions I mean um, I loved it I love flying I miss it I miss it every day um, but no it was I think for 14 years I did the exact same thing every single day yeah yeah I think like you like you talking about getting in the cockpit like if I went through my start procedures or whatever and something was missed like I was like all a flutter like I would be like oh my god I'm gonna start from the beginning again because if I missed whatever sending you know the altimeter or something silly like I was like oh, I was like oh my gosh where am I like what have I done wrong because because then you're like you like what else did I miss because you have so so many things going on there are weapons being loaded like people talking on radios and stuff so you would go back and through you just memorization back again so mm -hmm. it's but it's comforting in a way because you just like it's something you know memorized. when you're up in the air is it silence or is it constant chirping in your ear from somebody there's um, there's always something going on in the air. Very um, very rare to have nothing going on in the air because whenever you take off, um, it's either doing a mission if you're deployed, so you're flying over country somewhere in support of some operation, um, and if you're on the ground, we fly to train, and we are either doing an air-to-air -air mission, an air-to-ground mission, a refueling mission, um, practice landings. Everything has um, a mission. Um, very specific um, from takeoff to landing so very rare is there sometimes you sort of enjoy the silence because it is it gets really crazy especially if you have a big exercise going on um, you know upwards of 15 20 airplanes in the air and, and everybody's talking everybody's doing you have multiple radios um, sometimes listening to four different radios at one time and like Lori said there's only one of us in the jet so we're mon we're managing four different radios at once <clears throat> trying to um, trying to survive against the bad guys up in the air you know it's all training but that's what we're trying to do if you've got any ADD tendencies it's perfect <laughs> constantly engaged <laughs> constantly engaged things to touch things to hear it's perfect <laughs> you guys have a, a very parallel similar track I'm curious what your differences are <clears throat> she's taller than I am I am yeah she rode she's an amazing she's rower. smarter than I am <laughs> <laughs> um, what are her differences? She's from New York. I'm from Washington State. Uh, no, I mean, we were just, we just became really great friends when we were here, and the friendship has just continued. And, I mean, Beck and I have stayed in touch for wherever we were, and she's been overseas, and she's come back. She didn't tell you. Her number got retired, the Naval Academy first woman, um, to do it. She came back, and that was great. 
Um, so I got to see her when she was in Japan. I didn't think I was going to see her. But, like, throughout, we've lived in the same place. Beck is, like, you know, I remember when I first went to California, I moved out there. I saw her. Um, we would just run into each other. Unfortunately, we never flew together, nope. um, which is really a shame because that would have been lovely. Yeah. But um, we never did. For me, um, people like Lori, I, um, you know, there's a handful of people in your life that um, I believe God puts in your life, and um, you're lucky enough to have met them, and Lori's one of those for me. I mean, who else has a story like ours? And we found each other, and we were here at, the, at Andover is where we met. And, I mean, if, people, if we told people what we did and what we've done together, people are like, there's no way that you guys both did that. I'm like, well, we did, and we're right here, and we did it. And so it just... Um, you know, I just look at Lori, and I'm just so grateful that we met and um, we got to share these experiences together because um, I think it's rare, and it's rare, especially in days like this when, you know, social media is how people communicate, and Lori knows that I'm not big on social media, but I'm really big on real friendships, and that's, you know, that's okay. we're, <laughs> we're just lucky enough to, to have that, and that's how I view it, um, so... I would joke with my parents sometimes, and my parents would ask me, like, what am I going to do next? I'm like, well, what's Becky doing? Because I'm probably <laughs> just going to do that. <laughs> I mean, well, what a great role model to have, though. So it was great. So, But we would always joke with my family. We're like, what are you going to do, Laura? I'm like, well, what's Becky doing? I'll probably do the same thing. <laughs> so when you're far away and all over the world, and, you know, if your thoughts ever bring you back to campus, is what do you see when you see campus from afar? <sighs> I see. Well, I saw it today when I drew up. When I um, when I come back to campus, what I see is the beauty of it, and it's not just in like the 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 visual beauty of it, but it's the feeling, and it's a it's a a feeling of. Um, I mean, it's just it's part of your life. So I have this, you know, I drive up and I see the bell tower. That's the first thing when you come from the airport. You see the bell tower, and you know you're here. And then on a beautiful fall day like today, you see the the grass and the um, you know the quad, and then you see GW and and. Um, Anyway, that's that's what I see. Yeah, I I think of the people when I come back here. Um, just the people I knew and the people I stay in touch with now. Um, I have lifelong friends, and I think Andover is always welcoming. And it's people make a career out of Andover. They stay and they teach for you know a lifetime, and that's amazing to come back, especially being in the military and going all over the world. You don't you move. I mean, I've moved like fifteen times. Like. You don't usually feel like you're part of a place. And you, as soon as you feel like you are, you leave. Um, Andover, coming back to Andover always feels like coming back to a really welcoming community, and that's a really nice feeling to have. So where people, you know, people know your name. And yeah. you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's nice. And the, the coaches are here. There's teachers here. There's faculty here. Um, and, you know, the friendships I made here are lifelong friendships. So, um, so I see that. I see Andover, and I think of all those great memories. Um, and I reconnect with people, so. And I didn't mean to say GW, I meant to say Sam Phil. Right, that big one, the big GW is where you get mail. Sam, GW is yeah, where you right, get mail. Yeah. Sam Phil is what I meant to say. Yeah. So as you know, two decorated women um, who've been pioneers in your fields and, and read and, and sound with incredible stories, um, I'm just wondering if, there's, if there is a dark story. Is there, is there anything either of you did here had you been caught um, would you have gotten in trouble for she it? She got caught. That's... We are not talking about that. Podcast that, but yes. <laughs> we were all kids, right? right? All kids. We are all kids. 
Yeah. It's a different time. It's, it's a, a different, different time. time. I, do, do people get in trouble still? And no. No, not at all. Of course. No, right? The book is pretty thick. Is it thick? Yeah. It was merely advisory. No, we, I will tell you honestly, we, I mean, I grew up here, so, which means that I made good decisions and I made bad decisions, but I had really great people who supported me. Coach Kennedy, my parents, we made it through, and I think that I mean I think everybody has maybe similar stories, maybe not. I'm not sure, but um, but you know when you come to a place like Andover, you have to. That's part of the life here, and it's it's navigating that. It's navigating that as parents because your kids are away and they are going through adolescence, and it is hard. Um, but I feel really blessed to have come out on top. <laughs> you don't have to put that in there. But. <laughs> Isn't there some log that you can read about? Yeah, statue of limitations. Statue of limitations. Yeah, right. Yeah. Do you have your piece of paper? You're all good. Yeah. Stories are no. Oh, I, know. Stories oh, are I spent. I, there was a. There was a convening board. <laughs> Did you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Wasn't mine. It was hers. We don't have to talk. We don't we have, have to talk about it. But yeah. But oh yeah. We oh it was, it was a tough place. Yeah, and I just remember also just some like academically like just being like, I mean just being like hitting a wall and being like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? Like, and that was a really new feeling for me. I felt, you know, before that I felt pretty good about myself academically. So here was the first time where I just was like, I was in, there was this teacher who was really great, um, Mr. Crawford, he taught History 300 and he was renowned. But I swear, the first paper I turned into him, he wrote more than I did and it was all in red. And it was just like, I just felt like like the biggest, like I was like, whoa, what have I done? This is ridiculous. So, I mean, that was like hard for me. That was like the, like that academically, like the fact that I struggled, it was like the first time I'd struggled. So it was, that was a really formative thing to like struggle and then have people support you and then help you. So that was good, but that was, gosh, I was, I was not in a happy place. <laughs> there was an alum who was here a couple of weeks ago and he said to a group of students, you know, once you get through upper year here, you can do anything. And they kind of nodded. He's like, no, I mean, like, in the world. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, we joke about that in, like, my, my family, too. My sisters are, went to pretty good schools, and they're smart people. But they were all, like, after Andover, like, yeah. college was easy. Mm-hmm. Like, and I hear that from friends of mine who went to really good schools, too. Like, it's just the crucible that you go through here, just time management-wise and stuff, really helps you gain perspective and makes you look at other challenges and be like, well, it's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) You're both extremely humble, and I think whether it's for yourself, the team, country, how do you sort of embrace that uh, and and teach others that same sort of characteristic um, for either your friends, family, um, or just uh, being a role model for kids here at the school? That is definitely something that I have um, had to work on, and I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think it has gotten easier for me um, the farther I have um, been removed from active duty. Um, and now that I'm a parent and I have children, it's um, gotten easier for me to say yes to things. Um, I think for a lot of my career, I was not intentionally, but I didn't want the spotlight. I didn't want any extra attention being put on me because I was the first of doing this or the only female doing this. I wanted to be there because I was either the best or I have proven myself. And, and I think that's how, um, that was my experience. And <clears throat> so you go through you know, a 15 year career like that and it becomes a part of who you are. 
because um, I was there, you know, when you're in a squadron with people, you are literally going to war with these people and they can't um, feel like there's any differences or that there's any any ulterior motive because, I mean, you're up there, we're, we're fighting a war. And so that was a big chunk of my life. And, um, and now that I've, you know, I've stepped away from it and I'm in the reserves, and like I said, I have two small children, I realize that I do have um, a story to tell and it's important. And it's important role model, not only for young women, but for young men too, who want to be pilots. It's not, you know, hopefully we can inspire not just the young women, but men um, that want to do what we've done. And there, there is, so that has, I have had to work on that. And I think I'm doing a little bit better than I used to, um, but it's hard because that's just been something that I've intentionally not done because of my job and um, because of of the, the squadrons I was in and what we had to do together. Um, but now, um, especially opportunities like this where it's not, this isn't about me, this is about veterans and Lori and I are part of this, you know, we are service members, we are veterans. She's still active duty, I'm still in the reserve, so we, um, we have served our country and, and that is for the greater good. And so things like this, um, I am just thrilled to be a part of, still when it's individual, thi you know, things that are a little bit tough for me, but, um, but things that aren't about me are real easy for me to do. <laughs> I don't like know tonight. I, I don't know how to add to that. I think Beck said it best. I know, it's hard, it's hard, because I think yeah. Lori's been through the same thing. I mean, everybody wants to talk to the woman, everybody wants to talk to the female, everybody. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just like, you know, Joe, and. In fact, like, um, that um, documentary that Maro made, she's another Anna mm -hmm. grad, um, they made a 10-part documentary, and they're on my carrier. And they wanted me to be a part of it, and I just didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't not part. Of, I was just very hesitant. One, I was at war for the first time, flying combat missions, so I was like preoccupied with other things. But um, uh, the, but it was just you know the focus on me. Like, what about all these other people who are at war with me and doing the same missions? And you know, so it was hard for me to be like, oh, but we want it. And then, but then I realized there is. Irrespective if you want it to be, you are a role model for people. If you are different, if you are a woman in a male-dominated profession, you are by default a role model. And you have to kind of embrace that role somewhat because I can see how it affects young people. And I have a young daughter, too. You know, if you are a positive, good role model and you mentor young people, it makes a big difference in their lives. So I, I, at first I finally realized that not doing that was almost inherently selfish because I had something to give and I could reach out and talk to people and encourage people and and that means it, it means a lot it meant a lot to me when I was um, you know being brought up as well having those type of people in my life so that to me kind of like finally it was start to like kind of reach outside myself and I got involved with a film too and it's been really it was good because people saw it and they're like wow that's really that's that's great you did that so um, I think that's gonna kind of I started to like. It was a maturity thing when I was like, finally, like, okay, well, I can talk about this because it's bigger than me. Um, I want to inspire young women to do things that maybe they don't think they could do or they don't even know they could do um, because someone did that for me. So. so what would you say to Andover students now that maybe never considered military as an option but maybe <laughs> still want to serve in some aspect? Um, you know, how do you recruit uh, the next generation? Well, I mean, for me, I've worked at the Naval Academy for the past few years, and I talk to young people all the time who are, com who are interested in coming to the Naval Academy. And I kind of put it in these terms for them. 
you know, one, they go and they get a great education. The military pays for the education that way, uh, to, you know, and over students. But in the in the context of serving, like in the military, like whether you serve for five years or 25 years, having served your country and in, in a service of your nation is something you will always be a veteran. You will always have that. You will always be a citizen. So that is something to be proud of and is revered in the community um, or in the in the nation. So I, I you know, I say these to these 16, 17 year olds. I'm like. Whether or not you make a career out of this, because I didn't think I was going to make a career out of it. I mean, we were, I was going to play basketball, and so was Beck. So, it, but it became part of what I wanted to be a part of. I said, you will always have that, and you will look to those years. You know, who knows? You mean, you know, after you graduate from college, what you do, you get those couple of years, you kind of bounce around and stuff. But if you spend it in service, be it like AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, or teaching, um, you know, there's a lot of teaching programs where they teach you in inner cities. If you spend those years in service, you will always have that to draw on. Um, as a source of pride and, you know, a very formative experience. So I kind of tell those young people they haven't even considered it, but I think it's one of those things that um, no one looks back and goes, boy, I really wish I wouldn't have done that service-oriented thing in my life, you know? Like, it's hard to get off the path because, right, we're all on this path that goes, hey, you know, and Andover, you know, builds it up. Hey, I'm going to go to the Andover, I'm going to go to the Ivy League, and then I'm going to go to this in the career, and I've got that lined up. It's kind of hard to get off the treadmill. You know, to say, hey, maybe I'll sidestep and try this path. It's a little circuitous, but I'll get back there. So that's hard for young people to see where that fits in. But um, everyone I've never known has done it. One, it's such an amazing experience. And two, it has opened up so many avenues and doors to them. So I think just to open the aperture up a little bit and see the possibility of it um, is something I tell you know, young people at Andover to try to like think about it. Like if you don't go to the Ivy League next year and you take a few years or after you graduate, you don't go right into whatever field, medicine, you know, banking, whatever, and you go and you try something else, like that those years of service will alter your lives in ways you don't even know. So for um for kids here at Andover who might be thinking about the military or for students who have never thought about the military, I would say to them that just look at the school's motto, and we talked about it earlier, not for self, is exactly what the military is. And if they've never thought about it, the last four years or two years or one year that they've spent at Andover has prepped them beautifully for that service. And um, it's something that um, is needed in this nation. And I think that, um, you know, times are changing. Things, um, you know, the country is, um, needs people to serve and to become leaders and what a better place than Phillips Academy Andover to develop those leaders and you know before I came to Andover I never even thought about the military and it wasn't until after I graduated from the Naval Academy and then spent you know over a decade flying that I realized how similar the two places were the Naval Academy and Andover so I think students here are greatly prepared and they don't even know for mm -hmm. service to this country well, Becky, Lori, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, it was great. Thank you. Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover and made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Association, continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring. Subscribe on iTunes and visit our website at podcast.andover.edu. I'm Amy Morris.